Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So I want to kind of shift tack a little bit on the subject of faith out of the realm of seeing with our eyes what we can't see with our seeing with our spiritual eyes what we can't see with our physical eyes, the evidence of things hoped for, uh, which is uh, Im- using our sanctified imagination. And I want to move on to a side topic of it, which is meditation. Uh, interesting, the Oxford Dictionary, I looked at the, the definition, and it says that it's a written or spoken discourse expressing considerable thought on a subject. Expressing cons- considerable thought on a subject. So it's kind of getting an idea, but not just letting it pass through, but meditating and rehashing and regurgitating and percolating, allowing it to go in and out, in and out, while I'm awake, while I'm asleep. It's there. I'm meditating. I'm meditating. Now that is part of how my faith is built. Faith comes by hearing the word. God speaking to me. Go to the other side. I've got to see that in my imagination, but I've got to keep thinking about it. I've got to keep seeing it. I've got to keep proclaiming it. I've got to keep saying it. I've got to keep acting it. That's called meditation. So meditation is not a new age word. So please don't throw anything at me. In fact, meditation is very much a Bible word. To Joshua, God says, the book of the law shall not Depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then it will make your way prosperous, say prosperous, and then you will have good success. I love this passage because it connects the whole concept of meditating on something to living in God's blessing and success and good favor. Amen. I believe God wants you to prosper and have good success. He's not a stingy God. If we see him like that, that's what he will be to us. But if we begin to understand that God is a generous giving God, that he's not delighting in our poverty, but he's delighting in us living with all our needs met and enough to be generous on every occasion. That's his benchmark. That's his starting place. And as we walk in faith in that God, as we learn to be generous on every occasion, he entrusts us with more and more and more. We grow from that place. And even when we go through hardships, we don't change the character of God to suit our situation. We keep believing that it's his will for us to prosper and have good Success. Can you say amen? Now, I want to share this topic called living in the blessing of the gospel. Because the passage that we've just read says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, what book of the law is Joshua speaking about? Thank you for asking the question. Let me answer. Okay? What book of the law is he referring to? Well, it's called the Pentateuch. 
It's the first five books. It's the Bible that Joshua had. It's also called the books of Moses, and it forms part of the Torah of the Hebrew Bible. And the Pentateuch is made up of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the book of the law that Joshua is referring to when he says, this book of the law, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night that you may be prosperous and have good success. Now, Joshua understood something that his peers didn't understand. Because when they went into the promised land and they came back with the 12 spies, 10 of them said, we cannot take the land. But Joshua went in and said, our God is able to. Joseph, Joshua understood his position as a seed of Abraham. That the land was promised to them and God said, through your seed, all people will be blessed. And this is the land I'm giving to you. Joshua understood that concept. Now, how did he understand it? Not through the law of Moses, but through the covenant with Abraham. So in Genesis, we have the account of God's creation, man's treason. We then see God intervening, ultimately in chapter 12, by making covenant with Abraham. That was the first covenant, and it is the same covenant that carries through the entire Bible. It wasn't a separate dispensation, and then you moved on. The Abrahamic covenant is the one and only covenant in the Bible. Ratified right through, as we even read in Genesis, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Look how many times the word blessing is used. But it's not based on anything Abraham did. He was just a Syrian, uncircumcised Syrian living in Syria, and God spoke to him and said, I'm going to bless you, not based on anything he did. He said, I'm going to show you a land, and I'm going to lead you into it. I'm going to make your name grace, and you'll be a blessing. That was the covenant, unearned, undeserved, unmerited. What does that sound like? It was a grace covenant. God had always been intervening by grace, right from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12. But here he makes a covenant, and he puts Abram to sleep so that it's not a covenant between Abram and him. It's a covenant between him and the lamb that he provided in a thicket. Because Abram was obedient to take his son up a mountain to offer Isaac, and God said, no, that's not what I'm wanting you to do. There's a ram caught in the thicket as a substitute. God was showing that there was a substitute. He puts Abram to sleep Cuts covenant through the animal carcass. We don't have time to go into all the details. But that, as we see in the New Testament, was the announcing of the gospel. That God was making a covenant, not between God and man, but between God and himself. A covenant that would be ratified in the same way Abraham was willing to offer his son. God would offer his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh on the cross. And we see that in Galatians 3, the scripture foreseeing. That God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he gives him the sign of circumcision. The sign only came after the covenant, it was to remind them that God, they were a covenant people that you had to be born into the lineage of Abraham to enjoy the privileges of that covenant. That's all. You just had to be born into it and then have that snip on the tip. You just had to be circumcised and be brought into 
You were part of that covenant. Abraham was part of the covenant before he was circumcised. But when the, it was put into the legalistic Mosaic covenant, it became a requirement. But I'm running ahead of myself. So then we have the Mosaic covenant. In the Mosaic covenant, circumcision became key because they were of the lineage of Abraham. And that was every time they went to the bathroom, they reminded themselves, we are of the lineage of Abraham. And it wasn't for God's benefit. God wasn't going to forget he made a covenant. It was for their benefit. So they didn't forget. Abraham passes this on to Isaac, passes this on to Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. They sell out Joseph, who gets taken captivity. And right towards the end of the book of Genesis, we find that Joseph becomes a redeemer for his family, brings them into Egypt. But a few years later, after his death, a new king arises, and they forget about the Hebrews, and the Hebrews become slaves, and God raises up a seed of Abraham by the name of Moses. Moses lived in the Abrahamic covenant. He lived in a grace covenant, he, or else he would have been killed a long time ago. When he took the people out, and they put the blood on the lintels as a sign, and they celebrated the Passover. That was before the law came. That was still part of the Abrahamic covenant. But when they, came, when they went through the wilderness grumbling and complaining because the, there was a Red Sea to cross and then there was no food and then there were, they were having manna burgers and manna pizza and manna stew and manna braflays and they were so sick and tired of manna complained and there was no water and then, oh, it goes on and on. But every time God provides, God provides. No judgment is seen until the day of Sinai. God, God Moses goes up the mountain. The Hebrews say, we don't want to relate to you. We want to relate to God. We want to relate to you, to you and you relate to God. So they wanted an intercessor. They wanted someone to stand on their behalf. Even though they were children of Abraham, they could have had a delightful relationship. Out of the grace promise, they preferred to put on themselves a yoke. And it became the yoke of the law. Because even while God was giving Moses the law on Mount Sinai and carving out those Ten Commandments, they were down in the valley worshiping a golden calf, showing the true heart. You know, you just take a bit of grace away for a while and you'll see what's really going on. And there they are in the valley worshiping a golden calf. Moses came, comes down the mountain. He's the first one to break all Ten Commandments. has to go back up again, get them remade, come down again. Then circumcision was put as a prerequisite. If you're a child of Abraham and you're not circumcised, you'll be in disobedience, you'll be punished. Everything became performance for blessing or cursing. Blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. You had to keep the Sabbath to the nth degree. But God had given them a law because they were so rebellious that he needed to hold them to account until the Messiah would come. So he in love gave them the law which preserved them as a nation in the midst of heathen nations. In the covenant, at least they were aware of sin and they knew the priesthood was there to bring forgiveness through the sacrifices. And once a year, atonement would be made as the high priest and the holiest of holies. And they could come and bring their lamb without spot and he would inspect it and they would be deemed righteous. And that was what happened decade after decade after decade until the time of the Messiah. Obviously, we don't have time to go into the history of what happened to Israel during those years. But they had the law, not because God was angry with them, but God wanted to preserve them. 
And he wanted to preserve the Messiah who was coming to be the Savior of the world, who was the answer to the covenant he made with Abraham. You've offered your son, I'm doing the same thing, I'm making a covenant with myself. And through you, all people will be blessed. The law was given, not because they were, not because the law was a bad thing. It was holy, righteous, and just. Only problem was they weren't holy, righteous, and just. And it was there to reveal that and show that. And in 2 Corinthians, it refers to the Moses law as a ministry of death, an inferior covenant. It's not referring to the whole Old Testament. It's referring specifically to the covenant of, Abraham, of Moses. This is important. If you forgot everything else, you've got to get this. That when Joshua gets that word, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night that you may make your way prosperous and may be a good success. He is thinking back to the covenant God made with Abraham, which came through the Mosaic Covenant. He was still going to be, his descendants would be responsible one day to live under the Mosaic Covenant as he, as he was. But he understood which covenant he was part of. And that's the good news of the gospel. That through this covenant, Exodus doesn't just get, uh, uh, excuse me, jo Joshua 1 verse chapter 1 doesn't get ripped out the Bible because it's Old Testament. No, we just have to see it in the light of the covenants that were part of the Pentateuch and see how Joshua message still applies to us to, as we meditate. But now we meditate on a better covenant. Now we meditate on a superior covenant. Now, I mean, Joshua's going to have his socks knocked off in heaven when he realizes that in part he understood the grace of God, but he had no idea what was going to come and the blessedness that would be through the cross. began at Sinai, and, and it was ratified in Deuteronomy. So we, those are the five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. And then Romans 4 comments about this and says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after you were circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness or the right standing before God, right relationship with God, right connectedness with God that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that, the right, that righteousness might be credited to him. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father, Moses, uh, Abraham, had before he was circumcised. Not Moses, but Abraham. You see that? That's what Joshua was walking in. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. See, the application for us now as New Testament believers is that we meditate on a new covenant. 
At the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. What, did, what, do we, what, what happened there? Is that what we refer to as the finished work of the cross? Well, yes and no. Because he hadn't been buried yet. He hadn't been in the bowels of earth and led captivity captive. He hadn't ascended from the grave yet. He hadn't sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat of heaven. He hadn't commissioned the Holy Spirit on the day. So the finished work of the cross hadn't really been finished when Jesus cried out, it is finished. But when Jesus cried out, it is finished, something happened in the temple when the veil was torn from top to bottom. And the old covenant, the old way of approaching God, the old mentality of performance is done away with, and Jesus becomes the perfect sacrifice. No more sacrifice left. You see, he was born as Abraham's seed, so he fulfilled that covenant. He, as a Hebrew, fulfilled the law of Moses like no other man could, because the Bible says no sin was found in him. And when he went to the cross, he died as a substitution for all those who would have faith. It was his faith that saved the world because he believed what he did on the cross, finished the whole old covenant and ushered in a new covenant where God could relate to man based on his perfect performance and righteousness and goodness and not based on the legalistic system of the law. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is the thing you're told to meditate on. Are you meditating the gospel? Are you reminding yourself that, that he was made to be sin, who knew no sin, that I can be the righteousness, I can stand in right standing with God, approach him. No matter what performance was going on in my life right now, I never have to fear the presence of God. I never have to run away from God. I run to God. Am I percolating the gospel that this covenant has forever sealed all covenants? And that I'm going to, as I meditate on this covenant, it positions me for a right relationship with God that should lead to prosperity and good success. That is Joshua 1, verse 6, exegeted for you. So to sum up, the three, the three covenants, Jesus says it is finished. Jesus was the seed of Abraham. He perfectly fulfilled the law, and he had perfect faith for us. It is finished. Now you and I have a death certificate. It was being co-crucified. We have a birth certificate, which is co-resurrected, and we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when he returns, we will be gathered to him, as the scripture says, and we will return to rule this planet. Three covenants. The first one to Abraham was you receive the blessing through being born into it. The Mosaic covenant, you received its blessings when you behaved exactly like I told you to, which was a parenthesis to show no man could keep the law perfectly but needed the blood. And then finally, the third covenant, we enter into its blessedness because of what we believe. Jesus was born into it, he obeyed it, and now we have faith in it. Born right, behave right, believe right. 
Galatians 3.8. And I want to just leave you with these few scriptures. So can you read with me? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that... Oh, I beg your pardon. Let me go here. For as... <laughs> okay. Cursed is everyone that continues to... Uh, all things which are written in the book of the law, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. It's a doing covenant. It's not a faith covenant. If you break one part of the law, you've broken all of the law. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we come on here, you read now. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, not part of the Abrahamic covenant, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that's the law people, done in the body by the hands of men. Remember. Say remember. Okay. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. But, say but, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Come on, you can say amen to that. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what Joshua only had a snippet of, but understood that the composite whole of the, 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 the books of Moses, the book of the law, contained this message. And then finally, what Paul says to these Ephesian believers that were once separate from the covenants, who didn't have an inheritance, who were uncircumcised, who were out of sight of the promised realms of the covenants. Listen to these words that he gives to them in his opening address. He says, let's read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
That was God's opinion of you before the foundation of the world, was that you would be holy in His sight. How are you made holy in His sight? You were in the crucifixion of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's how God made you holy. That's how He has a people, His own, through which He makes a covenant. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. My friends, it can't be any clearer than that. It can't be any clearer. And this is what we meditate on. This is the book of covenant that we saturate our hearts with, that we keep on our lips, that we keep regurgitating, that we keep memorizing, that we keep saying, because it's the covenant of the, of, of the, the, the blood of Jesus that brings us into a relationship with God that he says, I want to prosper you. I want you to have good success. I just need you to believe it. Living in the blessing of the gospel. Can we stand up together? I got very excited as I I went back to what we share as a common belief, as a community here. We share a common love, we share a common vision, but we share a common faith. And as I began to ask myself, Lord, what is what is at the foundation of our common faith? And I was just reminded that we have the same gospel, the new covenant of God's grace. And as we believe together, as we walk together, we can see each other's lives being transformed from the inside out by the power of God. We were praying in the prayer meeting before the service today, and a strong prophetic word came out about uh, foundations and God building and establishing. And, and, and it just feels like this message was for us today to refocus and to re-solidify. So, Lord, even as we go out from this place today, even as we just enjoy the, the, the memories of of being together with a, a people that we worship with, a people that we love, a people who share a, a, a common goal and purpose. We have a common belief. And on this belief we meditate. We don't allow this covenant to depart from our lips or our meditation that we may see prosperity and we may see good success in our midst all the days of our lives.